All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to two places. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew 28, and then we're going to be in Colossians 2. Uh, if, you, if you make your way to Matthew and just keep going right, you'll find uh, Colossians. It's in the, about the last uh, third of your Bible. Uh, we are uh, glad to, to have the opportunity to celebrate uh, this Easter morning uh, with you. I, I love Easter because of, of what our hearts really get to focus on. And, and I think it's, it's a great day of celebration, but it's also this, this great opportunity to make much of Jesus for, for all that He's done. Uh, that, and that we would remember all that He continues to do. We would remember all that, that He will do in our lives. And if you're a guest with us this morning, I want you to know uh, two things. I think these two things are pretty important. That Number one, uh, we've been praying for you that, uh, that not that you would just show up here, uh, but we are praying that, that God would meet you in an undeniable, indescribable kind of way. Uh, that, that He would speak to you in a powerful way this morning. Uh, and then, secondly, that, that our intentions are very singular. Uh, when we meet on Sunday mornings, uh, we believe we do so with one pursuit in mind. Uh, we want to come out of our time together understanding Jesus more clearly. Uh, that we would know more of who He is, that we would see more of what He has done, and because of that, we could be able to see what He is doing in our lives uh, in, in more clear ways. And Because we believe that by seeing Jesus more clearly, regardless of of where you are in your faith walk, that He will change your life. Uh, it doesn't matter if, if you've never heard of the name of Jesus uh, or if you've heard the name of Jesus for decades, uh, that every time we meet Him, He changes our lives for the better. And so when we sing, uh, we, we sing to God for uh, what He has done uh, and, and how great He is. When we open the Bible like we are about to do, uh, we do so in this desire to, to see what can be dimly lit in our hearts, uh, revealed in the full light of, of the Gospel. And, and really, we don't want to waste your time this morning, uh, especially on, on trivial matters. Uh, if, if this is the only time you ever spend here at Merge, uh, what I long to help you see is, is that God loves you, that Jesus brings life, and you can adventure with Him every moment of every day. Uh, that, that's the pursuit of our hearts. And, and for this to happen this morning, we're going to see this revealed uh, in two different places. First, we're going to go uh, to Matthew 28, where we're going to get our bearing uh, for the Easter uh, service, we're gonna, the Easter celebration. Uh, and then we're going to travel in Colossians, as, as Paul is going to help piece together this puzzle uh, which, which is going to help us understand why the developments of the cross and the empty tomb are vital to our story. Uh, that, that this isn't just a, uh, an old fairy tale, uh, but this happening in real time, uh, way back when, is so important for us right now in this moment. And so uh, let's pray and then let's, let's get into the Word. Father, we come to You and we are... Uh, very thankful today that you have brought us into this, this relationship. And we pray that we would make much of Jesus today, that we would see him more clearly today, and that your Holy Spirit would teach us these things. And, and Father, I pray 
over the next few moments that, that we would be very mindful of your voice. That we would be listening for your calling. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says, Amen. Alright, so let's, let's talk a little bit of context, okay? If, if you know me, uh, you know that when I read the Bible, I like to, I believe in this practice of context. Uh, that we could take any verse in the Bible and we can twist it and we can tilt it and we can make it fit really easily into our story. Uh, but that's not the use of the word. Uh, and so I think some context is helpful as we arrive into Matthew 28. Because what happens right before in uh, chapters 26 and 27 uh, is a lot. Uh, in fact, what we find in those chapters is that Jesus is betrayed, he is arrested, uh, he is led to a trial where allegations are brought before him about his claims of being God's son. Uh, and, and after that, he's delivered into the hands of Pontius Pilate, uh, and who really seems to be working hard to have nothing to do with Jesus. Uh, he, he does not want to have anything to do with him. Uh, and so, uh, after the crowd chooses to release Barabbas, a, uh, a criminal, uh, Pilate uh, thinks, believes that a severe flogging, uh, and I know you're like, oh, we're having a flogging talk this morning. Yes, we are. Uh, but, but he believes that, that by severely flogging Jesus, which is just beating him to a pulp, uh, that that would satisfy the appetites of the mob-like crowd. Uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look, on it, look at it, uh, it doesn't. And eventually... Pilate hands him over to be crucified. And so, if you've, been, if you've been tracking with us as we've been walking through the Gospel of Matthew, you'll recall that just as these last couple weeks, Jesus has told us something. He's told the disciples something that is incredibly important as He prepares them for the cross. He says, the Son of Man must go. He says, the Son of Man will go into Jerusalem, and he will be betrayed, he will be arrested, and he will be killed. Okay? So, so before this all happens, Jesus tells them, hey, we're going into the belly of the beast. These things are going to happen. And so, so as we get to... Uh, he reveals long before the arrest that, that we must go, and he will be killed. And he does this, and this is, this is the crazy thought. He does this for our benefit. He does this for, for our benefit. And so on the cross, on a Friday, uh, in fact, we, we memorialize this this past Friday. We call it Good Friday. Uh, but on a Friday, Jesus will hang in a torturous punishment. It was the most severe, the most gruesome punishment that any person could withstand. And, but there's a lot more at play here. Because what Jesus does is He serves as a sacrifice for the sins of mankind. He, he serves as a sacrifice for, for my sins. And He serves as a sacrifice for, for your sins. And you're like, what? Me? Yes, you. Alright? He serves as this sacrifice. And we're going to see this in a moment. But He's going to be taking what belongs to us and paying through this torturous punishment. He will pave the road... For our forgiveness. And on that Friday, that good Friday, Jesus will, will breathe his last breath 
and he will give up his spirit. And true to his word, he will remain in the grave for three days. Everything will be dark. Everything will be silent. The enemy will think that they have won. Those who believe they were defending God will believe that they have won. And so for those three days, everything remains silent. But on that Easter morning, something happens. And what happens changes everything. And this is where we pick it up in Matthew 28. I love this scene. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of that first day, okay, so we're in, we're in verse 1, chapter 28. On the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And I love this, okay, because I don't know why Matthew decides to call the other Mary the other Mary, because the other Mary just so happens to be Mary, Jesus' mom, okay? So I don't know how she rubbed him the wrong way, that he's like, Okay, there's Mary Magdalene, who's super awesome. Then there's the other Mary, all right? Now, I don't know if that's necessarily fully true, but I think that's the way I read it. Um, and so, so uh, the other Mary went to see the tomb uh, because that's where they've placed Jesus. They take him off the cross and they put him in the tomb. And we know that there's a big stone that is rolled in front of it. If you've ever seen the Easter story, right? It's a big paper mache um, stone that just looks heavy, but it's super light. Um, and then there's like livestock and somebody's pooping on the stage and you hope it's the livestock. And anyways, here we go. And behold, verse 2, and behold, there was a great earthquake. Okay? For, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. What an incredible scene. He like rolls the stone and he's like, I'm just going to hang out here on top of it. And his appearance was like lightning. And his clothes white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Okay, now, if have you ever seen the YouTube clip of, of goats versus exercise ball? Yeah? Yeah? Okay, some of you have, and you're going to get this reference. And some of you haven't, and you need to waste your life just a little bit and see this, because it's pretty funny. Because all of a sudden, this ball's rolling, and these goats run, and then they decide, too much, then they just fall over, and they play dead. Okay? I envision this moment that they just fall over. Like, they see the angel, like, all right? So I almost tried it today, but it would be embarrassing if I hurt myself and cried. Um, so, so they fall over. They're playing dead. Verse 5, but the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He says, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, don't be afraid. I know why you're here. You've come to see Jesus. He is not here. This is, so, this is such good news for us. He is not here. He is risen. Okay? Which, by the way, Jesus said would happen. Jesus said, this is going to happen. He is risen. And he said... Come see the place where he lay. Alright? So as Jesus leaves, he tells the angel of the Lord, Hey, tell them to come check it out. Tell them to come on in and see this. And, and, and this is so easy for us to read and not feel what's just been said. Because the angel rolls the stone back, I believe, not so that Jesus can get out, but that we can go in and see 
that Jesus has told us the truth. Okay? Because, because Jesus doesn't need it. There's going to be a moment here in a couple days uh, for them, for the disciples, uh, where they will be in an upper room, the door will be locked, and all of a sudden Jesus will appear. Okay? Just shows up. Okay? So Jesus doesn't need that stone. It's not like he's knocking on it saying, hey, can somebody help me out? I believe firmly the angel moves the stone so that we can look in. You can check out all the other gospel accounts. Everybody goes to see the empty tomb. Now, why, why is that important? Oh, I have an answer. Good. Nobody else seemed to. All right. Why is that important? Because Jesus has told us, on the third day, I will rise again. Okay? So, so this is important because he's not a liar. Because Jesus has just done the most improbable thing that any man can ever do. He was dead. He was done. He breathed his last breath. And so he can be found here as not being a liar. Okay, so that's important for us because if he wasn't lying about coming back from the dead, then all of his promises about how we can be brought back to life with God through him can be true. It can be true. His promises about how we can experience pure love, his promises about how we can find peace, how we can find joy, how we can, how we can just sur- not just survive this world, but to thrive in it. All of those things can be true. And here's a blank in your talk notes. The, the resurrection is a big deal because it proves Jesus to be true to His Word, meaning our faith in Him does not have to be wishful thinking. It doesn't. It does not have... There's, and I've said, this, I've said this quite a bit... Jesus doesn't lie. Now, sometimes he tells a really hard truth, but he never lies. God never lies. And so when you see these promises in the Word about, I am your rescuer, I am your shield, you are mine, all of those things are true. All of those things. But that's, that's not all of it, because the tomb is empty. He, he is not there. He, he didn't get beat by death. He overcame. He overcame. The invitation from the angel was to come and see that the tomb is empty. And so what does that mean for us, right? How is that uh, practical for our lives? And I believe is this, that because the tomb was empty, you don't have to be. You don't have to be. In fact, there's a longing in the heart of, of every person to, to fill what seems and is empty. There's a longing to fill it. In fact, some of us wear the scars of that longing. Uh, some of us uh, live in the regret of going to places that have left us emptier than before we arrived. Uh, some of us have, have lived the close calls of changing course at the very last moment because you were going to a place that you believed was a well and it turned out to be a pit. And you see in the matter of hindsight, and you say, boy, I'm sure I'm glad I didn't go there because I'd have fallen in that pit and I can't climb out of that. And so, so in the heart of everybody, there's this need to fill. And I'm not telling you anything you haven't already heard, right? I'm not telling you anything you haven't already felt. Because this is for the non-believer and the believer. 
Because we still struggle with temptations, right? We still struggle with these appetites for things that, that though we may believe are just fleeting moments, we're still willing to satisfy ourselves in that fleeting of moments. And the truth of the gospel, the truth of the good news of Jesus, is that until our hearts find complete security and significance in God's love, which is displayed in Christ, we will constantly turn to other lovers looking for satisfaction. Whatever is empty in you has been and can be by Jesus. Has been, can be filled by Jesus. And this is proved by His resurrection. That tomb isn't just empty so that Jesus could come out. That tomb is empty so that you life. Verse 7. Angel of the Lord still speaking to Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Then go quickly, tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they left, verse 8, so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, okay, this is incredible, and this is is why Matthew uses these words. And behold, to say, pay attention to what's about to happen, because it's pretty significant. And behold, Jesus met them and said, what's up, ladies? That's what he said. That's the Greek for greetings. Okay? I I found it. And they came. They came and they took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. They didn't fall over like dead men. Yeah, that was a good impersonation. Not an exact one. The goats are still better, but you can work harder. Um, Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And and I love Matthew's description of of what's happening for Mary, uh, for both Marys. That, That they are running with fear and great joy. Have you ever been there? Like you're so excited that, that it's almost scary how excited you are about this. So they're running, and, and so much is happening, and their hearts can't seem to catch up to it. And as they're moving, Jesus meets them. And I believe in this moment, it says that they fall and they grab His feet in worship. In worship. Okay? I believe in this moment, everything clicks for them. And they see the incredible worth of Jesus. And for the first time in their lives, they are made whole. Because they see Him as both their Savior and their Lord. Everything that they've been searching for in life is found in Him. So for the first time ever, they fall and they say, this is incredible. And so, this is what a privilege, by the way. Like, they got that moment. We don't get that moment right now. They got that moment. So, so here, here's the Easter story in a nutshell. There are two things at play. On the cross, we find forgiveness. And in the resurrection, we find life. On the cross, we find forgiveness. And in the resurrection, we find life. It's about life. And here's what you need to know. We need both of those things. 
We do. We, we need a path of, for forgiveness, and we need a way to have new life. And this is why we're going to go to Colossians. Uh, and I think this is why Col- the entire book of Colossians is important to us. Uh, because the Apostle Paul, who, who wrote this letter, is helping the Colossian believers understand the difference that Jesus makes in their lives. That uh, in chapter 2, he's encouraging his audience uh, to dive deep into the riches, into the knowledge of, of God's incredible mystery, uh, which is Jesus. That's what Paul says. It says, God's great mystery is Jesus, in, in whom, he says, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. In fact, uh, so, so Paul's argument is that, that as you walk Christ, you have access to wisdom and knowledge. Uh, so, so you know what you should do, and then you're able to apply that knowledge in ways that are productive for you. Uh, you're able to put knowledge to use, which is and, and apply it, which is just wisdom. And so, in verse 13, Paul reminds us of our condition apart from Christ. Okay, uh, and and so what and what God has done by sending Jesus into our story. So this is. This morning is applicable for everybody here. Okay? So for some, this serves as a reminder. For some, this explains so much. Okay? So he says this, verse 13. And you, okay, so who? You, not me. Oh, well, not just me, but you. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Okay, so, so when we read the word you, you need to understand this means you. Not, not just someone else. Not, not just the criminals, right? Not, not just the person in the office that you believe may be the most unlovable person in the world. Okay? And some of you immediately, a, mind, a name came to mind, right? Some of you are like, well, okay. Um, you refers to you, and Paul says you were dead. But you didn't even know you were dead. But you were. So, so, so Paul tells us the reason for our death sentence. He says, he says, you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. Okay? And so if you just wanted some circumcision talk this morning, boy, I'm here for you. Um, the symbol of the circumcision is an Old Testament practice that God says, my children, the Israelites, those who I have chosen, okay, they will circumcise themselves so that people will know that they are mine and I am theirs. Okay? So, so what Paul says here, he brings us back to this word picture and he says, your, your flesh was completely uncircumcised. It did not belong to God. Not only did it not belong to God, it was hostile toward God. It rebelled against God. And, and so... And so your choices led you into sin, which infringed on your unfettered access with God. And your unwillingness to get your body under control continued to separate you from Him. And Romans says that the wages of sin is death. So you were dead. Your life didn't only rebel against God, but you were hostile against Him. You were against Him. And, and right here, right here, right here, right here, right here is your biggest issue in your life. This is the biggest issue in your life. 
Not can I get that new job. Not can I go live in this house. Not can I afford to pay to send my kids to college. Not, not do I have to choose which one I love more to send to college. Right? This right here is the biggest issue in your life. Your sin has separated you from God. This is more pressing than anything else. If you are dead, you need life to be brought back to you. And this is great news for us this morning because this is what God has done for us. Verse uh, uh, 13, uh, the last part of 13. So you were dead, but God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands... This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So if Easter is about the cross and the cross is about forgiveness, this is, this is the process. This is what's happening where we find forgiveness. God has made us alive. God has forgiven us all our trespasses. But how? Okay, I still have an answer for that one too. Good. He cancels the record of debt that stood against us. Okay? So the record of debt was simply this, this Greco-Roman practice of any time a criminal is being punished, they would write the charges and they would attach it to wherever they were at. So at the cross, uh, what would happen is they would take these things and, and there's a, it's, it's one of those famous uh, record of... of um, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank on the word I'm looking for. Uh, record of debt in the history of mankind. This is the king of the Jews. That was his record of debt. Jesus' claim to be the king of the Jews. And so they attached it. And that was, that was why he was being punished. And so, so every act of sin creates a debt that we cannot pay, but we still owe for. We still owe for that. So, so when criminals were being punished or crucified, the guards would attach this record. And what Paul does here, he gives us again, he gives us a word picture to understand how God has removed this for us. So what belonged to you, he took, he set aside, and he nails it to the cross. He nails it to the cross. So, so for God to remain just, however, uh, he can't merely sweep sin under the rug. He can't just act like it didn't exist. Say, oh, you're cool, don't worry about it. There must be restitution made through sacrifice. And so verse 14 tells us that God cancels our record of debt by taking it from over our head, nails it to the cross. And this is why, this right here is why Jesus is so central to Christianity. And this is why Easter is both this cause for for grief and celebration. Because on the cross, our record of debt is canceled because Jesus has made restitution on our behalf. And God says, yes, I'll accept that sacrifice for you. And those forces who stood against us are now under the authority of Jesus because His work on the cross and His work in the tomb. The fact that the tomb's empty. Verse 15, He disarmed. He disarmed the rulers uh, and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. So the fact that Jesus came back to life, and we're going to, we're going to see this in a second, the fact that Jesus came back to life means He defeated death. Defeated it. He defeated the wages of it. 
And so, so if you're wondering if you are the focus of the Easter story, you need to hear this from me in love. You are not. You are not, mainly because you've not done anything to disarm, put to shame, or triumph over any rulers or authorities. You haven't done that. Jesus has, which is why he's the big deal today. Which is why he's the big deal every day. Which is why he will be the big deal for eternity. And so, so what does Jesus conquer on Easter, right? That's, that's the big question. Because as we understand, remember we talked about this last week for Palm Sunday. Uh, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey and people lay these palm branches down. And they are proclaiming him as a king. Because our Savior is coming. And we've said that, that, that Jesus has come as a conquering king, but the challenge with the people is that he didn't come conquering in the way they expected or the way they told him to. Because these were a people under the rule of the Romans can have their identity again. And what Jesus comes as a conquering king is, is much larger than those matters. That there's three things that we find here in these verses in Colossians that, that Jesus conquers for us. That number one, he conquers sin. He conquers sin. Sin stands in the way of a relationship with God. And out of his great love for us, not, not our deserved love or not our earned love, God acts on our behalf by sending Jesus. And because Jesus loves the Father, he cares for you as a good shepherd. And he lays his life down on your behalf. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 puts it this way, that for our sake, He being God, made Him being Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. So that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That we may be made right with God. So on the cross, the payment that sin exacts is satisfied. And to understand that, all sin exacts payment. Whether you think that's fair or not, it's true. That all sin exacts payment. Eventually, your trespasses will cost you. Not because God is mean and not because God is a fun sucker. Uh, that's, I, had a, <laughs> I had a teen when I was in ministry. That's, that was their biggest complaint about God. He just wasn't fun enough. Uh, and I was like, well, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, I thought some other things, but I'm not going to share that with you. Um, that, that much of the time, the payment of our sins is the result of our own undoing, by the way. Uh, because we're so short-sighted, we fail to, to understand or we fail to see how dangerous certain actions are. And it's not until it's too late that we suffer the consequences of those choices. That, that, that God doesn't want you to run from temptation uh, because He hates fun or He's opposed to desire. Okay? You need to understand that. That He wants you to run from temptation. He wants you to put sin to death because He sees the emptiness of sin. He sees how impossible it is for you to find any lasting satisfaction in it because He is for desire. He is. He is for holiness. He is for joy and peace 
affection. He is for those things. And so what we celebrate here this morning at Easter, and really any day in the believer's life, is that Jesus entered sin by paying the price we couldn't pay. Because he knew, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. Because of that, we were made right with God so that we have access to a fulfilling desire, to fulfilling peace and joy and satisfaction. Number two, the second thing that Jesus conquers here is the law. Is the law. This sounds really strange uh, because what, what Jesus conquers is, is God's law in a way, but he doesn't conquer it, he fulfills it. So God gives us the law, especially in the Old Testament, for two primary reasons. Number one, to reveal to us what holy living looks like. God says, this is your standard of living. Now, what we know is we can't live according to that standard. And then secondly, he gives us a way to confess and to seek forgiveness through sacrifice. And so, so the law's intention was to serve as this placeholder until Christ comes. In fact, Paul puts it this way in Galatians chapter 21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. And this was the problem with the Jewish church. They believed that because they could adhere to the law, then they would find life. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. We were imprisoned uh, until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. Okay? So, so the faith is that Jesus is both Lord and Savior. Is that He is true, that He is alive. But this doesn't just throw the law out the door. In fact, some of you are like, oh, well, great, now I don't have to do any of those law things anymore. No, that the law still reveals to us holy living, which draws us deeper and deeper and deeper into the heart of God as we pursue Christ, as we live the way that He lived. And so Jesus took the law, which revealed our condemnation, set it aside so that we are no longer under its dominion, that we are not under the law, as Romans 6 would say. I'm sorry, as Romans 7, 6 would say. Uh, we are uh, under grace, as Romans 6, 14 would tell us. That our relationship with Jesus enables us to obey God out of love. Not out of slavish fear. And some of us, I'm sorry to say, have bought into this relationship that God demands obedience. And we are just terrified of Him as a father who would abuse their children. And that's not the motivation. That, that, that God demands obedience because He knows everything else is lesser than. He knows everything else is nothing but a danger. He knows that everything else is nothing, uh, will not bring lasting satisfaction. And so our relationship with Jesus enables this. And, and because the the through the acts of Easter, we see God's love on its greatest display. That He has sent Jesus. Then the last thing. Number three. Uh, Satan, uh, Satan is conquered. 
Jesus conquers Satan. Verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And so, so Paul gives us four words to help us understand what Jesus does to Satan at the cross and the resurrection. Okay? That, that number one, he, being Jesus, disarmed. Okay? So he strips Satan and his demons of their power to accuse Christians before God. They don't have the right. They don't. And this is the truth, that our sin is always accusing us as unworthy of a relationship of our holy God, but Jesus satisfies that sin. And so Satan revels in the damage of sin. He will remind you constantly of your state. His demons will whisper those little lies into your ears, but Jesus has removed that accusation by taking on your sin on himself. In fact, uh, Warren Wiersbe said it this way, that, that Satan cannot harm the believer who will not harm himself. That it's when we cease to watch and pray that Satan can use a weapon against us. So, so Satan is disarmed, but that's not all that's happening. Because we find a little bit later, he, being Jesus, puts Satan and his demons to open shame. That's great news for us. Satan and his demons are openly shamed. The cross publicly reveals, the cross and the tomb, publicly reveals the failure of demonic powers to thwart had won. They believed that they had killed Jesus. And if he doesn't come back from the grave, they would have. But he doesn't. And so Jesus puts them to open the shame. Even in their moment of perceived victory, Satan is shamed because the grave could not keep Jesus at bay. And then, then thirdly, he being Jesus stands in triumph over the accusations of Jesus. Uh, of Satan, I'm sorry. He stands in triumph over the accusations. There, there is no match uh, for all that is accomplished at Easter. He is just beat. Let's, let's start wrapping this up. Okay, let me tell you, okay. Easter is kind of a big deal for the church. Kind of is. Um, in fact, sometimes it's a big deal for church. It's a big deal for church all across the world, but, but sometimes it's a big deal for, for all the wrong reasons. Uh, because uh, what happens is, is pastors like myself, um, and even ones who are real pastors, um, Get excited. Uh, my talent's the talk notes, clearly. Uh, but, but pastors get excited because they know today is the day that there will be a lot of people showing up. A ton. And so, so our tendency as pastors is to try to pull out all the stops, to, to try to convince you to come back next week and the next week and the next week. And, and there's goofy things that we do. Uh, in order to try to convince you of that, we like to throw apparently eggs from the sky now. Uh, that's that's a big thing, right? You know, come to our church. We're going to give five thousand eggs unless First Baptist gives ten thousand. Then we're going to get fifteen thousand, right? Come to our church. You'll get your free family portraits. Uh, come to our church. Fill a communication card. We'll put you in for a raffle so you get a Rolls Royce. You know, anything, anything to get you here, anything to to get you to come back. We, we tend to do things that make us appear cooler than we actually are, uh, much more relevant than 
um, than we are. In fact, uh, or at least uh, we try to do things that that are on par with all the other levels of entertainment of your life, uh, believing that somehow we're competing with those things. And that's, that's not my belief here. That's not our belief. We're, I'm not trying to compete with Netflix for you. Okay? I know I'm better than Dancing with the Stars. Right? I know we are, because that show's dumb. All they do is dance. All right? But all, all of our tactics, and, and again, it can be with good intentions. But, but all of those tactics are trivial if you miss the reason why Easter is such a big deal. Because it's not about egg hunts, and it's not about some of you that went and bought new uh, clothes for Easter, you know, which y'all look great, except for this guy. Um, y'all look great. You're completely normal looking. Um, All of that is trivial because Easter is simply this constant reminder that God loves you so much that He is willing to not just give you another chance. He's willing to secure you in Christ. He is willing to take what is broken in you, what is dead in you, and He's willing to give Christ to you. And so He becomes your treasure. And that's it. I'm sorry tomorrow if you have to go to the office and you go to somebody like, man, we went to a church where there was acrobats and they shot paint at you. And it was like, a, you know, uh, 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 is it Gallagher who did the watermelon thing? Yeah? Uh, that's a reference for you old people. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry if you get to go to your office tomorrow and they say, hey, what did you talk about? And you say, we talked about Jesus. And we talked about this tomb that was empty so that I don't have to be. We talked about my sin, which is not fun to talk about. But it's incredibly necessary because we remember that our sin makes Jesus glorious. So Easter is this reminder that we are secured in Christ and we, he promises that we will never, never, never be outside his care when we place our trust in him. So this is what the believer gets to live in every moment of every day. Every moment of every day. If, you are, if we are going to win you to anything here at Merge, our desire is to win you to Christ. It's to win you to him because He is truly the satisfier of your soul. He truly is. We want to pray that the Holy Spirit will open your heart this morning to see the great worth of Jesus and to see your great need for Him. Not as your buddy. Not as a great voice for advice. Not as someone you can tell others perform these incredible miracles. We long for you to see Jesus as the one in whom your joy is found, your peace is found, your life is found. That's our intention. So the way we're going to end is simply this way. Our desire to love God this week is to love people. Sorry, I just messed that up. Our desire this week is to love God by? There we go. I've only been doing this for nine years. So 
But let's take a moment and let's stand to our feet. We're going to have some people up here, and if you just need prayer this morning, we want to pray with you. If you've never listened to your heart, we pray today would be the day that you go from death to life. We're not going to stand here awkwardly in an invitation call. Right? We're not going to lock the doors until four people get saved today. <laughs> Another tactic of ours, Pastor. We have the secret club where we talk about it. But what we want to do is give you an opportunity to respond to God's great love in Jesus. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being true to your word. Thank you for being able to rescue us. We praise you because you have made us and you have called us to you. And I pray in this moment for all here who are struggling with doubt or pain or wounds that you would become their satisfier that you would reach into our hearts that you would love us in Christ it's in Jesus name we pray amen